This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Highfield, lead pastor here at Grace River Church. And I want to say thank you so much for watching online at home today. Today we are in week two of a four-week series called Unfinished Business. Last week, uh, we talked about the unfinished business that we may have with God when it comes to receiving God's forgiveness. This week, we're talking about the unfinished business with ourselves, which is the ability to forgive ourselves from our past. Now, we've all done dumb things in the past, and it's difficult sometimes to even forgive yourself for some of your past regrets, past hurts, past shame. And today, we're going to talk about how it is you can get over that. And so, uh, I do want to update you really quick. Our church is growing at a rapid rate. In fact, last weekend at Grace River, it was difficult to find a parking spot. It was difficult uh, to find a place to sit. It was difficult to even be able to drop your kids off in kids ministry. And I want you to know we're growing as a church. Part of that growth is we're doing an initiative uh, so more people can meet, know, and follow Jesus. It's the Generations Initiative. In fact, uh, about 150 families in our church have committed $1.2 million back to God over the next two years, this initiative. And I just like to every month give an update on where we stand on that initiative. It's amazing, actually. We've actually already received $400,000 towards that initiative. And so, like I mentioned, 1.2 million is the goal, and we've actually already received $400,000 just in two months of this initiative. And so with 22 months left to go, I firmly believe that we'll meet our goal. I wanna encourage you, if you call Grace River Church your home, uh, make sure you set up reoccurring giving in fact, you can set up reoccurring giving and give as quickly as brushing your teeth. And so it takes less than two minutes to do that. We automate what's important. And so let's make sure that we automate this uh, so more people can meet, know, and follow Jesus. And so we're going to be able to move at the pace of your generosity. And our, our kids' wing, uh, this is going to happen in three phases. Our kids' wing will be ready uh, by middle of April. And then from there, uh, throughout the summer, we're going to be doing uh, construction on our current auditorium, renovation on the auditorium and the lobby. And then uh, in the fall, we'll build out the parking lot. And all that's going to happen at the pace of your generosity. And so we're going to gain 100 more seats in the auditorium. We're going to double the square footage in kids ministry and, and add over 150 parking spots to our parking lot. And so I just want to say thank you for being generous as a church and giving back to God here at Grace River. And so we're going to jump into this. John chapter 8 is where we're at today in the Bible. And we're talking about how to forgive yourself. And Jesus, uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus is a part of a woman's worst day. I don't know what your worst day has been, but you think about, in your mind, the most embarrassing thing you've ever done. And imagine if Jesus showed up in the middle of that. And that's where we're at in this woman's story. She is caught in the very act of adultery. She's caught in her most embarrassing moment that you could ever imagine. And Jesus meets her right where she's at. And there's some lessons that we can learn from what Jesus has to say to this woman about forgiving yourself. So let's jump into this John chapter 8 as we talk about unfinished business. Then Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early in the next morning, he was back again at the temple, which was custom for Jesus to visit the temple and teach there. A crowd soon gathered around, and he sat down and taught them. In that culture... When you would go to temple, uh, people would stand and the teacher would sit. And that's what was happening with Jesus here in the story. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. I mean, how embarrassing is this? And it's interesting that they only bring the woman because last time I checked, 
to be caught in the act of adultery, it takes two people, right? But she's caught in the very act of adultery and she's drug in front of this crowd and they're, they're using her as bait or as a pawn to try to trick Jesus. And look what they have to say. They say, teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And so to stone her meant they were going to pick up gigantic rocks and beat her to death with those rocks. And so they're referencing the Old Testament law here. And they're trying to, to trap Jesus because they either want Jesus to agree with them with the Old Testament law and commit murder, or they want him to side with Rome. Uh, and siding with Rome would mean they would be in direct opposition with each other as a result. So there is no win for Jesus in this moment. Like they're, they're, they're trying to catch him in a really big trap here. Then in verse 6, so they were trying to trap him into saying something that could be used against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, we don't know what he wrote in the dust. Uh, I have no idea. Bible scholars have no clue what he's actually writing in the dirt here. Um, but here's what's important. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one, you can stone her, go ahead. Like that's essentially what he's saying here. All right. But there's a really big caveat here. He says, but let the one who has never sinned, throw the first stone. So he's saying, you can put this woman to death if you'd like, but it's going to have to be a perfect person that condemns her, a perfect person that judges her, a perfect person that executes her. And then he stooped down again in the dust uh, and, and wrote this. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So they each leave and you can just hear the rocks dropping one after another after another. And it was the oldest ones first because the oldest ones knew about the mistakes they had made. They knew that they were, that they weren't sinful. The younger ones with a little more arrogance were kind of had to, they, they had to calculate like, man, maybe I haven't ever sinned. But as they watched the older ones drop their stones one after another, after another, after another, and you can imagine being this woman as she hears the rocks being dropped, she hears these gigantic boulders hitting the ground one after another and after another and after another. And they're missing her. They're not hitting her. She's fully expecting to die in this moment. But she lives. And then all of a sudden, the, it's just her and Jesus. And then Jesus stood up again here in verse 10. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said this, no, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What a powerful story. Jesus says, I'm not here to condemn you. But he also says, I'm not going to leave you the same way that I found you. You see, here's the thing about God's love. We talk about God's love a lot in church, a lot here at Grace River. And in fact, we, we probably err on the side of grace. We err on the side of love. But here's the reality. God loves you just the way you are, but he also loves you enough not to leave you the same way that he found you. That when you have a real encounter with Jesus, when your life is actually transformed, when you realize that he's the one that rescued you, you then get up and go live a new and different life. But that's the end result. I want to talk to you today about the unfinished business that maybe you have. Like this woman's story is she was caught in the most embarrassing moment of her life. 
And we've all been caught red-handed. We've all done dumb things. And to be caught in the very act is a scary thing and can sometimes result in, in shame and in guilt. And here's the thing about guilt. Guilt isn't always a bad thing because guilt can actually motivate you to change. But what shame does, well, shame is this deep sense that you're unacceptable because of something that you've done or something that's been done to you. So shame can make you feel like you're a, like you lost. And here's what shame does. Shame then identifies you as a loser. Okay? So um, you've committed adultery. And what shame does is shame identifies you as an adulterer. You've stolen something. And what shame does is shame identifies you as a thief. Right? You've lied to someone. And what shame does is shame tells you that you are a liar. That your, your identity is wrapped up in your mistakes. That's what shame does. Now, guilt is actually sometimes a good thing because guilt is the feeling that you did something wrong. Guilt is the motivator to make things right. But shame is this thing that kind of stays in your heart and makes you feel condemned. It makes you feel like you don't belong. It makes you feel like God could never love you, that God could never forgive you. And if God can't forgive you, then you can't forgive you. And that's the unfinished business that I want to unpack with you today because, listen to me, God in all of his grace and all of his love and all of his mercy offers me and he offers you forgiveness. And we would be foolish to not receive that. But even more foolish to receive that and then not actually forgive ourselves. Not actually, not actually taking care of the unfinished business within ourselves. You know, John 3.16 is probably the most quoted Bible passage in the entire Bible. And it says this, and this is very familiar for a lot of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is, this is all something hopefully that you're familiar with. You've heard this passage before. Verse 17 is really important, though. I wouldn't stop at verse 16. We'll go on to read. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. You think about condemnation or what it means for uh, an abandoned building to be condemned. You know, I, I've seen buildings that are condemned. And buildings that are condemned, the city usually goes by and puts a sign that says, this building, this house has been condemned. And the fine print on a sign like that will say that it's been deemed inhabitable, which means no one should even walk in here, that you're not safe or welcomed here. And the term condemnation just simply means this, that God could never dwell in you. To feel condemned is this idea that your heart is so messed up that God could never love you, that God could never forgive you, that you could never serve at a church, that you could never attend a church. And here's the thing, the enemy, Satan wants you to believe that. But the truth of God's love is this, is that Jesus says it right here in John chapter 3, verse 17. I didn't come here to tell you that you were uninhabitable. That's not why I came here. I came here to let you know that I can live in you, that my grace is sufficient for you, that, that I'm coming to forgive you so you can also forgive 
yourself. So there's two statements in this story that I think are really important in John chapter 8. The first statement was, go and sin no more. Remember this in, in verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He gives her some specific instructions here. He's saying, okay, your accusers can't condemn you. I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you that God can live in your heart, that it is possible for you to be forgiven. But listen to me. Go now and leave here and go live a changed life. Don't go back to the place that you were before. Don't go back to committing adultery. Don't go back to a life of abuse. Don't go back to, to stealing and lying. Don't go back to gossiping. Don't go back to, don't go back to any of that. Like make a decision to say, I'm not going back to that. But for whatever reason, we go back. And I don't quite understand why our hearts are so stubborn at times that we go back, even though we know something isn't all that good. I was in Phoenix recently and I had dinner with a group of friends and we're eating at a place, it was called a tapas restaurant. And tapas is simply this, it's like going to a restaurant paying an expensive amount for really small portions of food. It's basically, you eat appetizers for dinner that is five times the price of what dinner should actually be. And I made a decision that day that I'm never going back to tapas because it's an absolute ripoff. So I've made that decision, I'm not going back, right? And when it comes to our sin, we know it's not good for us. We know it's bad. But for whatever reason, we try to return to it. In fact, the book of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Like, don't be a fool. And really, what the biblical definition of, fool, of a fool is to live as if God doesn't exist. So, like, don't be foolish with how you live. And I know for some of you listening, you're like, hey, Chris, so what? Like, I'm going to go do my own thing. And we've all kind of had that at heart attitude from time to time, it's really called pride, which by the way, if you're going to receive God's forgiveness and if you're going to forgive yourself and if you're going to forgive others and receive forgiveness from others, you know, the one common characteristic that that's going to require is humility. And so, but when we're living in our pride, we often say, so what? Ah, so what? I slept with that person. So what? I had that evil thought. So what? I gossiped. So what? I lied. I told a little white lie. So what? Well, we don't need to think about so what. We need to instead think so that. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapters 5 and chapter 6, this concept comes up multiple times. Not, not so what. It's so that. And look at this in verse 30 of chapter 5. Go tell them to return. This is Moses writing. He says, go tell them to return to their tents. But you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands and decrees, laws, uh, are free to teach them to follow the land I am going to give them to possess. Listen, it was so that. We go on to verse 33. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live in it and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So that. Then chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, that you, your children, their children, and them, them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy 
a long life. You may say, so what? But here's the thing. God is trying to say, so that, so that you can have a good life. Then in verse 3 of chapter 6, here Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. So you're, you're asking the question, okay, I've sinned, I've made a mistake, so what? The reason why you should do what God's asked you to do and go and sin no more is so that you can have a good life. God has great plans for you, but all those plans can be wrecked when you say, so what? Instead, you should say, okay, I'm going to do this so that I can have a good life, so that I can prosper, so that I can follow God's will. So when we really meet Jesus, we leave differently. And my encouragement to you is this, is if, you're, if you really haven't experienced life change, I wonder if you've really experienced the forgiveness of God. Because one thing we know about this woman is that she was told by Jesus, go and sin no more. And did she go on to live a perfect life? I guarantee you that she did. But did she go on to live a changed life? I guarantee you that she did. And I wonder today, has your life changed? And if it hasn't, have you really received the forgiveness of God and have you really forgiven yourself? The second thing that Jesus says here is that she's not condemned. Is he explains to her that, listen, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. And he says then, I don't condemn you either. I mean, really, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, so, so now there's no condemnation for those who, to, who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Listen, you have been set free. There is no condemnation. The lie that Satan would love to tell you is there's no way God could dwell in you, that you're condemned, that the presence of God your heart is uninhabitable. There's no way God could ever love you. And here's what I need you to understand. Romans chapter 8, this story in John chapter 8 is proof that God is crazy about you. And so I wonder today, could you receive God's forgiveness? And could you let go of shame? This woman leaves this place not condemned, not identified as an adulterer. She leaves this place recognizing she's the daughter of a king. Friend, listen, that's you. You can leave this online teaching understanding that you are a son, you are a daughter. God is crazy about you. And the very fact that you're hearing this message today should help you to understand God offers his forgiveness to you. The business that you have with God, the beef that you guys have, it's finished because of what happened on the cross. So you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live with guilt. You can live not only with God's forgiveness, but with yourself saying, I'm, I'm, I'm letting myself off the hook. I'm forgiving myself for what I've done. So I don't know where you stand today with God, but, and even where you stand with yourself, but I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I wonder if you could just talk to God right now. If you're a Christian today and it's been a while since you've just 
received God's forgiveness or maybe, you, maybe you're holding on to something that you know you need to forgive yourself for, I want to give you a moment to do that. But maybe you're listening today and you've never received God's forgiveness. Like you know you can't forgive yourself because you've never actually received God's forgiveness. If that's you today, you can pray a prayer like this. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I recognize I've done wrong. And God, today, today I want to receive your forgiveness. So God, I know that you sent your only son to come and die in my place so I don't have to experience shame and guilt. God, I confess today your son Jesus to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Help me to go on and live all the days of my life, not for me, but for you. Thank you for saving me and making me a Christian. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.